Hello, everybody. You're listening to Drive Into the Basket, part of the Basketball Podcast Network. I am Mike. I'm here with Dante and Tommy. Fellows, how are you doing today? A couple of things have happened since we recorded last, so I'm excited. I think there's a lot to talk about. Yeah, after a month of kind of nothing, it's been a whirlwind. Yeah, who knew that having the first overall pick, you know, and I've said this before, who knew that having the first overall pick would turn into such a stressful episode? <laughs> it was it was anxiety inducing. Yeah. Yeah. Just uh, waiting to see what would happen. Mm-hmm. So we're just going to kick this off uh, first with a quick word from our sponsors at DraftKings. You've heard us talk about DraftKings, the leader in daily fantasy sports. And now a payday can come every day by entering their contests with huge cash prizes up for grabs. Making a lineup on DraftKings adds excitement to every night, and it's extremely simple to do. Just draft your lineup, feel the sweat, and make every moment mean more with a DraftKings lineup on the line. DraftKings has paid out over $7 billion to users all across sports. DraftKings is the leader in daily fantasy sports, so there's absolutely no better place to get in on all of the action. Now that you know how to play, download the DraftKings app now and sign up using code TBPN. New users will get a free entry with their first deposit. That's code TBPN to get a free entry with your first deposit. Only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. All right. So with all that said, let's head straight into a bit more draft analysis. So those of you who listen to our kind of sort of live draft show, I guess you'd call it a live draft show, we recorded it during the draft. It was not recorded live. Uh, heard some of our kind of initial analysis. It was mostly about the second round. Uh, of course, you know, this is kind of sort of important, I guess, that the Pistons took the first overall pick. What? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. That's what it was. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, anybody anybody in Pistons land has been paying any attention knows the Pistons drafted Cade Cunningham first overall. Uh, we, we talked about that a great deal. Uh, excuse me, talked about Cade himself a great deal on the show. We did... Uh, in particular, a full player profile of him uh, just before the draft lottery uh, for any of you guys who are in front, any, any listeners who are interested in that. Uh, but just to sum up, uh, potential franchise changing offensive lead. Uh, there is some disagreement about his height right now, though. 6'8". It seems to be more between 6'6 six, six and 6'7", six, I believe. We yeah. need answers. We yeah. need answers. There are pictures. There are conflicting pictures. We were talking about the one with Jalen Green where they're like similar height, but then he's a little bit taller than Jalen Rose. So it's like, what's going on here? But I don't know. I feel like if it was like a legitimate issue, he was the number one pick. I feel like that might have been uh, a little more contentious leading up to the draft. But Yeah, maybe this is why Weaver now. took so long. He was just trying to get a good measure on the guy. Yeah, Troy was six, trying six, to measure six, eight, That's the difference. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that was. Uh, I would imagine it was just desperately trying to get these guys together so he could line them up and, and take their heights in person. That was <laughs> that was the reason behind working out all these different players. Probably, uh, yeah. Um, anyway, all jokes aside. So, yeah, we, we've we've talked to Drake a great deal about Cade. Let's talk uh, a little bit about uh, first up uh, Isaiah Livers. So uh, Isaiah Livers was the Pistons. Second pick in the draft. He was initially, uh, the Pistons were initially slated to have pick 37. They traded that away, uh, excuse me, they traded that uh, in exchange for pick 57 in order to get rid of, not get rid of, whatever, sorry, Mason, but to dump Mason Plumley to the Charlotte Hornets. So just a, a quick profile on Wivers. And uh, honestly, when we were, when we were reporting the last episode, uh, I, I know I said so. I mean, I don't think any of us had really done full workups on on uh, the guy's mock to go late in the second. Uh, I myself had tried to be a smart guy and be really knowledgeable about the first round so that uh, I could feel really good about being able to predict it. Uh, and I gave up by like pick nine because I was wrong about almost everything. That <laughs> 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 the, the, the draft was a little bit weird. Who could have called Josh Giddy to the Thunder at pick number six? I mean, Who could honestly, have called Scotty Barnes at four? That was weird too. That was unlikely also. Uh, Damian Mitchell going at nine to a team mm-hmm. that already had one undersized point guard yeah. and was planning to resign another one. Sort of an odd draft night, but it's kind of like I said, it's really nice to like just get your pick in first and then you kick your feet up and you're like, what is going to happen now? And then none of it affects <laughs> you. That was nice. 
you're forgetting Josh Primo at 12. That was insanity. Oh, quick thing about Josh Primo. So my buddy from school is actually Josh Primo's agent. Um, so he was posting all sorts of stuff with Josh, like at the little party that they were having. So I shot him a message basically congratulating him. And he told me they did not expect to go that high. So like joking aside, that's that's like really cool. Um, I just wanted to slide that in there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, book night, of course, falling to, what is it, 12? That was unexpected. I know, Tommy, that probably surprised you in particular. Yeah, that really surprised me. And you know what? It surprised a lot of people. I know this is not super relevant, but the betting line, because I was watching the NBA show pre-draft, the betting line for that was over under 10.5, and and everybody was like, no way he makes it that far. Like, he's going sixth. And it was like, it's free money if you want it. And then he goes 11th. So... I'm sure a lot of people are pretty unhappy with that. Yeah, I, I feel bad for the big gamblers on the night because that was a wonky draft. Oh, yeah. yeah that, was, that was definitely a strange one. All right. That said, all right. So on to uh, Isaiah Livers. So 6'7", uh, well, he's still a little bit over 6'6", six, six uh, without shoes. Uh, but uh, forward for, out of University of Michigan, I'm sure plenty of Pistons fans who are also Wolverines fans are real familiar with the guy. A four-year player of Michigan. And uh, mostly played power forward, I believe, uh, even with the Wolverines. So uh, overall player profile, smart player, just generally knows where to be on both ends, uh, particularly on defense. It's where you really see a lot of his IQ at play. But even on offense, just, in, in, you know, you can think a little bit about Sadiq Bey just in terms of knowing where to be on the perimeter is based on how the play is developing. Uh, a strong, decent length. A wingspan of around 6'9", so nothing spectacular, but decent. Uh, his primary skill is just standstill, catch-and-shoot threes, at which he is excellent. If he's left open at the three-point line, he's definitely dangerous. He's got a really a quick catch and release jumper. Like he catches the ball. He really doesn't need to adjust very much. Gets it off quickly. High release. And this all really allows him to shoot very effectively through closeouts. So useful skill. And uh, on defense, works hard, he's smart, and he's strong, which is helpful. And just in general, just a hard worker, high motor, uh, great attitude, very unselfish. I mean, just uh, just a lot of a lot of very good things to be said about him in that respect. When it comes to cons, uh, really at the NBA level, he may not have anything more to offer beyond those standstill threes. Right now, he doesn't. Uh, it's a valuable skill, but when you're really looking at your three-point shooters in the NBA, a great deal of them these days, the guys who are only taking threes can shoot off the move as well, which is a very useful skill. So, yeah, Livers, not a good creator off the dribble. Not a good scorer in the restricted area. Uh, not quick, which is kind of an issue on both ends. He's not going to really achieve separation on anybody off the dribble. He's not really good at creating off the dribble at all, or at least he wasn't in NCAA after four years, or, you know, in four years, rather. Uh, also means he might have some struggles guarding quicker players in the NBA. So that's obviously an issue. It's an issue for obvious reasons. It's just really important these days that you not be easily beatable by, but you know, really by anybody else to become a liability because teams will relentlessly attack you. So injury concerns also a little bit there. Um, yeah. Do you guys have any thoughts on Isaiah Livers? Yeah. I, I think out of the, all the three second rounders, he's probably got the best shot of actually contributing on the, in the NBA. Uh, but that's more due to the fact that it's just, it's just a shooting. I think you stick him in the weak side corner. You hope that the defense collapses a little bit and he's a target on the perimeter. Uh, motion threes, pull up threes. It's not really his game. I think it's just like somebody else is creating for him. And realistically, I think right now he projects to be like the eighth or ninth guy in your rotation. And at the 42nd pick, that's fine value. You know, I think this, this draft kind of dropped off a little bit. After like 35, 37, as painful as that is to say, like I think there was value there. But for where he was picked up, I, I don't mind this pick. It's just not a it's not a high ceiling pick at all. It's just a role player to the max. Yeah, I uh I would agree with Mike's breakdown and then Tommy's further analysis. I um I'm a pretty big Michigan fan, more so football. Uh, I'm not like the biggest college basketball guy, but I like Michigan enough to where I watched many of their games and Livers is a good player. Like there, there's it, there's something to be said for someone who has, and I, I touched on this a little bit in the episode that Mike and Matt and myself did 
there's something to be said about someone who's got a translatable skill, such as three-point shooting, even though it might not be um, in the variety of ways that, say, someone like Duncan Robinson can get his threes off. Livers is going to catch the ball, and when he shoots, it's probably going to go in. He's that good of a shooter, and it's Mike touched on this as well. Very good relocator. Um, as the play is developing, Livers will kind of move around the perimeter to where he's best suited to kind of receive that pass, and that, that points to high IQ. So I guess I'll kind of leave it with, yeah, the um, high character, good defensive, big and strong, relatively unathletic shooter, uh, who does that remind you of? <laughs> Sadiq Bay, right? So I'm, I'm not making a one-to-one comparison, but I do think that these guys with limited athletic upside tend to slip through the cracks. Um, and then savvy GMs like Troy Weaver can maybe capitalize on value. So I expect Livers at some point during his career to be, you know, maybe not one of the prime rotation guys, but at the very least, someone who can contribute spot minutes with room to improve. So I'm happy with the pick. And intangibles-wise, Michigan was a much better team when Livers was on the floor. So take that for what it's worth. Yeah, I'll also just add, I think he's going to be a really good locker room guy. It, it, it started off right at that press conference. Like He's like oh, giving yeah. uh, Koprovitz a, a chance to pronounce his name correctly. He's helping these other guys get their opportunities to speak. Being from Michigan, and just he seems like a very charismatic guy who will be a good locker room presence. I think he'll add to the team that way. And uh, in case he made it clear, a big part of what they were – they liked about him was his personality mm-hmm. and the team, the, the organization in general definitely seems to like guys like that. So uh, if that's just part of what he brings, I think that's valuable and it's worth considering. Yeah. I'd say two things. Uh, obviously he, he does have the perimeter shooting. Obviously it's, it's a, you know, this goes without saying it's a necessary skill in the NBA. It's also highly valuable guys who can hit these shots at a, at a good clip, you know, at an excellent clip. Of course it's, Oh, I'm repeating myself now, but if you look at really the truly elite three-point shooters in the league right now, the guys outside of like, we're not talking like Steph Curry and whatnot. I'm talking about guys who just take catch and shoot, catch and shoot threes. If you're looking at them, almost all of them are able to take those motion threes. So just a guy who was able to come in and take standstill threes and really nothing else and, you know, play maybe decent defense. You know, it's not just about having having skills it's about having skills enough that you justify being ahead in the rotation of other players so th- that's what i question about livers you know does he really does this is his ceiling really a guy who can provide enough that he can beat out other guys in the rotation so i i agree you're probably looking at a deep rotation player i don't i i, I don't at all agree with the comparison to bay who is significantly like bay's issue isn't you know, he moves well, we'll put it that way on defense he moves well livers is pretty slow-footed on defense i mean he's He's good at positioning himself properly. But Sadiq has no issue guarding quicker guys. He's pretty good at that, actually. And Livers does. So it's just different that way. Sadiq is not an explosive athlete, and he's not particularly quick himself, but he's quick enough. So I, I don't really just I don't really see the comparison there. No, not so much. I know you can say, well, guys who aren't really super athletic. Though. I mean, Livers, you can make the argument is a better leaper than Sadiq. Like he's he's kind of like a sneaky good leaper. But uh, I I just say Sadiq is significantly higher up on the scale there. Uh, just even just from the moment he came into the NBA. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I, I definitely don't think it's a one for one comparison. But as far as like highlighting highlighting some of these like general traits. I meant it more in terms of like, these are the types of players who tend to fall in the draft because of a perceived lack of upside. So definitely not a one-to-one comparison. But what I'm saying is I see similarities to a certain extent whereby which he may prove more valuable than his draft position. Oh, that's certainly possible. I mean, if you look at Sadiq, though, even during his time at Villanova, I mean, he was one of the primary offensive guys on that team. And even in the NCAA, he really wasn't able to blow by guys. And just as his first step wasn't good back then, it isn't good now. But he could create offense. He could do stuff. He could handle the ball, certainly. Now, Livers has never even shown chops at handling the ball. I mean, it's it's just it's best if he's just, you know, his, the skill you have that he's that's going to maximize his value is his shooting. He just, he just doesn't really do very good things with the ball. So, yeah, I'd, I'd say you can draw some parallels, but I'd say Sadiq came into the NBA just at, uh, at a significantly higher level. And I even, and he was, I'd say he was a significantly better player even the NCAA level. Mm-hmm. 
and Sadiq improved a lot as the year went on. So, I mean, I, I guess it's up to Livers, who has a pretty good work ethic from everything that I've read from his time at Michigan and, and all of the post-draft stuff. So maybe he'll add to his game. Right now, I see him topping out as, like we said, sort of the end of rotation guy, but could be wrong. I'd like to take the optimistic approach on it because, you know, hometown kid, I'm rooting for him. And he seems like a really good guy with some very translatable skills. So I guess it remains to be seen, but fingers crossed. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. I mean, also worth noting, even though the age isn't all that different, because uh, Sadiq is 22 now, I think. I think Livers is uh, I don't know, 22, 23, I think. But Sadiq was only in at Villanova for two seasons, uh, whereas Livers played for uh, for University of Michigan for four. Whatever. We're just looking at upside mm-hmm. here, of course. Yeah. So, all right, let's move on to uh, one I know Dante is very excited about, and that is Luca Garza. So uh, Garza, National Player of the Year in this past season, uh, excuse me, Naismith Player of the Year at Iowa, is one of overall just an, an extraordinarily accomplished NCAA player. And plays center, uh, 6'11", I think a wingspan of about seven foot one. Uh, he weighed in at around 270 at Iowa. Apparently, he has lost about 30 pounds since. That's uh, a lot of weight. So for looking at pros... Uh, good vision and offensive IQ in general, like particularly in the post, just a player who's able to think on the fly and, and make the smart play. Uh, in terms of really just this, his post play was, a, was just uh, in, in many ways the bread and butter of his game in the NCAA. Uh, just establishes post position well. He really uses his size to his advantage, good footwork. Just clever, shifty, the really diverse repertoire of moves and and just a good overall touch scoring around the basket. Decent face-up shooter as well out of the post. Strong finisher through contact, just a really strong player overall who plays physically, seeks out contact, really just uses his size to his maximum advantage, including as a rebounder. You'd see him at Iowa when a shot was up from a teammate, he was around the basket, pick a spot, establish his position, and then just use his body to create space before the shot fell so he'd have a maximum shot at a rebound. Uh, As far as elsewhere on offense, just an excellent shooter. Uh, Just quick trigger, really good form. So a real good floor stretcher from the position. And he was also an able pick and pop shooter. So these are just important. You know, these are very good skills to have. And beyond that, like livers, hard worker, high motor, great attitude. So at this point, you know, you think, well, why is this highly accomplished NCAA player? Why did he go 52nd in the draft? And the reason is his body pretty much. So the number one, Question is defense. This is really his mobility and then and how that relates to defense. So uh, Luca, unfortunately, is not the quickest guy. Uh, to say the least, his lateral mobility is, is really not very good at all. So that just renders him really uh, a potentially very big liability in terms of defending in space in the NBA. Like uh, in isolation, pick and roll defense, switches in general. Now he's lost a lot of weight, and uh, and we've heard through uh, interviews and elsewhere that he's trying to find other ways to compensate for it, you know, through communication and so on and so forth. So who knows? Maybe that'll help. But in in the NCAA, also struggled in terms of uh, rim protection, just troubles making the right reads and decisions on defense. So really, a question is: at, at age twenty two, will he be able to make the steps and the necessary steps in the defensive capacity? Because you don't have to be a great defender, of course, in the NBA by any means to make an impact, but you got to be good enough not to be run off the floor. So he's really got his work cut out for him. And who knows? Maybe he can get there. Uh, Otherwise, you look at how well will his offensive game translate to the NBA. Of course, shooting is translatable, period. That's a skill that will be useful for him. But you look at his post game, all right? So number one, he's not going to be able to bully guys in, in in the NBA like he did in the NCAA. I mean, just the athletic standard is so much higher in the NBA. That's just what it is. But there's also the fact that post-offense is really, for a long time, well, you can say for a long time, really, the NBA started drastically changing around like 2014 or 2015, whatever the case. Uh, post-offense has really just been eroded. It's, it's, it's just really in severe decline as a form of efficient offense. Really, only the very best post-scorers can make efficient offense out of it on volume at the NBA level. So you say, well, can Garza do that in the NBA? Can he make post offense really work for him in a way that it's worth feeding the ball, feeding him the ball 
and letting him go to work in that capacity. Because yeah, again, I mean, there are not very many guys in the NBA who are going to be able to make post offense worthwhile on high volume. There are very few, and most of them pulling the, to the star superstar category. So can he do that? Or can he diversify his game and add more to it such that basically just such that he's, he's got the most he can possibly offer on offense to balance out what may be long-term defensive struggles. So yeah, I, I think, I think the biggest question with Garza is can he improve that defense enough that, that it doesn't make him an outright liability uh, such, you know, so that he can stay on the floor and, and really allow what he can provide on offense to be a, a valuable quantity. All right. Thoughts. Yeah. I, um, well, I'll start here. So on draft night, and you guys can even go back and listen to that episode, that episode, I wasn't like super, super high on any of the second round picks. And I remember thinking personally to myself, like, oh, they pick Garza. Cool. Like I watch a decent amount of college basketball. I knew who he was. I knew how accomplished he was, but I was just like, ah, this is a flyer. I know his defense is really bad. He's probably not going to do anything in the NBA. And then later on, when I was sort of taking a closer look at the guys we picked in the second I was watching some Garza tape and I was just very struck by how talented he is on offense. And obviously Mike did an admirable job just kind of breaking down his offensive game, but you really have to watch for yourself and see like, Oh my God, this guy can shoot the lights out. His touch around the basket is incredible. He seems to always be positioning himself in the correct spot to either get an easy bucket or get an easy rebound. And when he does have to fight through contact, He's very, very physical at the point of attack. And, and this is just a guy who obviously has a high motor. And when you pair the high motor with the high level of skill, then you get someone who's so accomplished in the NCAA. And then obviously it's like, well, if he's so great, why did he slip so far in the draft? And yeah, it's like Mike said, his defensive mobility and just therefore his defense in general was so awful at the college level that it was noticeable. And if it's noticeable at the college level, the NBA is one, two, three, four, five giant leaps ahead of college basketball when it comes to athleticism. So it doesn't matter how good you are on offense. If you're repeatedly targeted on defense, you just, you can't stay on the floor. So I was like, okay, but then these reports start coming out that he lost 30 pounds. And it's like, when you're 270 pounds and you lose, you lose 30, it's not nothing. Like we always hear these stories, oh, such and such guy is in the best shape of his life, but 30 pounds is 30 pounds. And you can be as flat footed and uncoordinated and poor um, in the lateral mobility category as you want. But when you're moving with 30 pounds less weight, you're a touch faster. And that touch faster could mean the difference between getting in the right defensive position versus not getting in the right defensive position. And if he's even passable on defense, I feel like he has some value as as an NBA player. So we're going to see how he improves in that core category. But uh, And I'm going to toss it off to Tommy here in a second. But really quickly, I wanted to touch on his attitude because I'm sure we all watched the introductory press conference there for the rookies. And I was very taken by what Lucas said when he had his opening statement. And he basically just said, I'm very thankful to the Pistons for giving me a chance. That's all I ever wanted was a chance. And it's like, when's the last time you heard the national player of the year? So grateful to even be drafted. So I was like, huh, I'm kind of rooting for this guy. And then you go on Twitter a few days later and his dad is tweeting out videos of them working at, you know, presumably a home gym or somewhere close to their house, absolutely grinding. And he's promising the city of Detroit that they've got a really good player who's going to work his butt off to make sure that he's a factor for them. And it's just, it's such a great story. And I think to be so distinguished and so accomplished at the college level and yet still have that chip on your shoulder. I don't know. I think we've got the makings of a very cool story here and I'm really rooting for him because if he can stay on the floor defensively, he could be very helpful as a backup big. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's encouraging to me that they know exactly what they need to work on. And it's the mobility. Like we've seen videos, like you mentioned these videos that have come out. There are definitely videos of them working on uh, mobility and defensive positioning on the perimeter. Uh, it's, they know what they need to focus on. And it, and it goes back to, you know, the, just the way that the NBA has changed so rapidly. I actually think the Pistons are kind of ahead of the curve, honestly, in terms of how proje- how switchable their roster projects to be in uh, in the coming seasons, just looking at the, the way the roster is built right now. And they know that if Luka wants to be, you know, a player in the NBA, 
he needs to be able to make those switches, make those, make that movement work. And that's encouraging to me. Like you said, Dante, he seems like a very, very hard worker, very skilled player. It's not even today in today's NBA. It doesn't like you can be a very big athletic presence, but if you can't move well, and if you can't, if you're not a skilled player, you're just not an NBA player anymore. The game has changed that rapidly. And I think that's for the better. Honestly, I think it's a more interesting product than watching bigs just back their way in. Mm -hmm. But it's Luca's not that player. Like he's, he legitimately is very skilled. Casey even said like he was very surprised at just how well Luca could shoot the three ball. And that's just very, very encouraging. It speaks to his work ethic. And I just, I exactly what you said. I'm, I'm rooting for him. I really want to see him. Uh, I don't know what, what he has to do, lose more weight, just work on the movements, footwork. I, I don't know. I'm not a trainer, but if he can make it work, I'll be very, very happy. hundred percent for sure. All right. So moving on next to Balsa Kopakova, I believe I pronounced his name correctly. Uh, it's Vitsa. That was the, that was the thing. Yeah. My apologies. What it was. <laughs> Yeah, he's going to hear oh, this and yeah. be very upset with you. Yeah, uh, my apologies. All right, so uh, honestly, I know very little about him. And I went looking for information, and there really just isn't very much at all to be found. Bit of a surprising pick, and uh, I, I guess we'll see really what happens. I, I'm very, very confident that the fact that he is a foreign player, or as I don't remember who put it this way, has a passport, I think it was Sam Bassini who put it that way. Played a part in the selection because I, I I think it's very likely that he's just going to be stashed for at least one year. You know, whether or not he'll be able to come over and be an NBA player, of course, nobody knows, but I'm, I'm pretty sure he'll spend next year outside of the NBA. But honestly, I just I just know very little about the guy. Yeah, wasn't wasn't really in Yeah, in it turns no- out he did go to Montver. He did have some overlap with Cade. Yeah. I guess that was a question. That's literally all I know about him. Yeah, he I wasn't know how to pronounce his name, thankfully, because it rhymes with pizza. That's it. Good job. <laughs> yeah. So he wasn't he wasn't very notable even in the NCAA. And his his selection remains a little bit of a question mark. So uh, yeah, I, I guess Florida State guys are usually pretty low profile, so but he's he's very, very low profile. Mm-hmm. This is the flyer to end all flyers because honestly and uh, I'll be honest with you guys and the viewers here. When I was doing preparation for this episode, I was watching so much livers and Garza tape. I forgot about Balsa like completely. So I honestly really don't know what he does well, what he doesn't do well. I'm not at all familiar with his game. But if this trade with Charlotte processes, I think we're going to see him in summer league. So like maybe we'll be able to kind of get like sort of glean what's going on with him. And I hope he's good. I'm not optimistic, but I guess we'll see. Seven yeah. footer, he should be fine at summer league, but I don't know what he projects to be, if anything, in the NBA. A yeah. big tall basketball player. Yeah, tall Dave. Tall Dave. <laughs> oh, how about we just take a moment yeah. of silence here for Dave? That... No, we'll, we'll, we'll talk. We'll talk. We'll talk about Dave. This is uh, David Asservitas a little bit later, yeah. but why don't we move on really quickly to uh, Chris Smith, who's the undrafted free agent to uh, whom the Pistons signed to a two way deal. And I should just note at first that two-way deals, just like any player in the NBA, the two-way players signed to two-way contracts can be waived at any time. Just the difference is with two-way contracts that there's really no financial obligation, at least against the cap, uh, to the team after that. So the Pistons could certainly call him tomorrow or in four months and say, "Well, you're off. You know, thank you for your service. You're off the team. We want this to go to somebody else." So just the fact that Chris Smith is in that spot right now doesn't mean he'll keep it. Uh, nonetheless. So Chris Smith, six foot nine wing, seven foot wingspan. Uh, he played four years at UCLA. Uh, he's twenty one years old right now. He tore his ACL uh, shortly into his senior season. Definitely a factor in him going undrafted. Not only just because he hadn't played a senior season, not only because you're not entirely sure of the time, hundred percent sure of the timetable of that, but also because you can never really be hundred percent certain. I mean, that's that's a significant injury, and it could have long term implications. And he's still recovering. So he will not be playing at Summer League. But uh, guy's potential is a two-way wing who can shoot and attack the basket. Decent defender. Sort of a bouncy athlete. And yeah, it's just hard to know what it'll look like. Spencer Dinwiddie, same thing happened to him, actually. He tore his ACL in what I believe was his junior year. It was his final year uh, at University of Colorado. And so probably would have went significantly higher in the draft than that. Uh, he was picked in the second round in 2014 by the Pistons. 
And if he hadn't gotten injured, yeah, if I recall correctly, you're looking at him as almost certainly a first round pick. So do you guys have anything to add about Chris Smith? Yeah, it's super unfortunate to go through an injury and then the subsequent rehab of, of, of something like that, especially immediately preceding the season that you were going to really make a run at upping your draft stock. Um, it sucks and there's not much else uh, to say about it or another way to parse it. It just, it's, it's unfortunate, but from what I understand, he had really good, like you said, two-way potential as a, as a wing who can shoot and, and make some stuff happen at the basket. So maybe if he recovers, he could be something, but for right now, you just gotta kind of pray for a, a speedy recovery and then we'll see what he be when he gets, we'll see what he can be when he gets on the court. Yeah. This is just, you're just taking a literally no cost upside flyer excuse me on a potentially high upside a potentially decent upside player right the only opportunity cost there is one two-way contract slot and uh, you know who knows I, I would suspect that either livers or garza probably garza will end up on a two on, on a two-way deal uh but who knows maybe chris smith keeps his spot all right so uh beyond that let's or moving on from that rather let's talk a bit about free agency but i guess first just about a couple of notable roster moves we spoke about dave uh, dave who is no longer under contract to the pistons he was r.i.p <laughs> he was waived with a year left on his contract the pistons will pay uh, something in the realm of one and a half million of dead cap to him next season it will be with the summer league team so uh yeah he was waived tyler cook also waived on the same day uh, Tyler Cook, who had joined the Pistons uh, just as, as a free agent in the middle of the season and had been ultimately signed to a multi-year deal that was fully non-guaranteed. So, yeah, what do, what do you guys think about, you know, about that, you know, in terms of how do you feel about it? Why do you think I really that, hope Tyler Cook done? gets another shot somewhere. Like, he did those vlogs during, during the season, and uh, th- there weren't a ton of them, but just seeing that guy's perspective getting that close and personal it's you, you really root for that guy and he was just fun to watch i mean our team wasn't super athletic last year and he had some bounce he had some some energy going up in in attacking the rim so that's always fun it's just a likable thing so i just really hope that if it's not the pistons i hope he gets another shot somewhere else and of course he had uh, he had that tweet at luca garza i guess they played together at iowa which full disclosure i had no idea that that was the case but he was like excited to play with his teammate. And then like a day later he gets cut. That's the NBA. It's, I mean, they're, these guys are paid fairly well, but it's still, it's still pretty brutal sometimes. I hope he makes it, man. Like, and I, I guess he's on the summer league roster too. So we'll see. Maybe he can earn a spot back. Yeah. I would say with respect to Tyler, uh, to Tyler cook, he, well, he was just stuck in this very unfortunate tweener place. So he couldn't shoot can't really line up a guy at, at power forward very well if he can't shoot. I mean, of course, there are exceptions to that. Like you have, you know, like really good power forwards can be exception to that. So he didn't have the shooting to play power forward, but he didn't have anything like the interior defense to play center. Not a capable rim protector at all. Not a capable paint protector at all. Just not the kind of interior defender you want at the position or nowhere close to it, put it that way. So he was always going to have kind of some trouble staying, so to speak. I think his best shot would have been to develop a good you know to become a passable or ideally a good three-point shooter you know then you've got you know the potential to stick of course the fit was made more awkward by the fact that like uh, probably his best use is as a role man and that just makes his just his positional assignment even more awkward or just kind of that that much harder to nail down it's it's just it's it's tough to find a good role for the guy given his current skill set so it didn't surprise me to see him waived. Honestly, you can look and say, oh, he did well at times for the Pistons last year. But yeah, he was playing like as a depth player for one of the worst teams in the league. When it came to Dave, that was a, I think in the opinion of all of us, a deeply questionable pick at the time. He traded down from number 30 for four second round picks in cash. And you know, one of those second round picks was effectively useless. It was like protected, you know, up to pick 50 something. But yeah, Basically, the Pistons for number 30 came out with a second round pick that was, geez, I don't remember where it went. I think that was one of the picks that, yeah, that was the pick, I believe, that was uh, along with three future picks when the Pistons was sent out, three future seconds was sent out for the Canard trade. So 
Yeah, there's a lot of talk about kind of corruption and that this guy, like uh, Arn Tellum, who's one of the executives at uh, for the Pistons, his son represented Servetus. Whatever. Who knows? I mean, if Servetus can be a good motion three-point shooter, cool. But um, the guy doesn't really seem to have much to offer beyond that. Uh, it's a useful skill. Yeah, I've, I've kind of lost my train of thought here. I feel like they were both they were both released solely for the sake of roster space, more or less. I don't think they were particularly valuable players, but I think that was the primary consideration. Yeah, I think we spent more time talking about Dave and Cook than any other Pistons content creator. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're a pretty in-depth show, so we're yeah. also going to go to this kind of hard-hitting analysis of these yeah. fringe roster guys and these corrupt selections. Who hit like three off. threes over the course of the season. Yeah. Yeah. He got some pretty cool ink, though, towards the end of his Pistons tenure. He had like the one tattoo coming in, and then he was like fully sleeved out. I'm talking about Dave. <laughs> so it's kind of yeah. like the you know 2K where... when you get some VC, and then you yeah. go and you just absolutely deck your guy out. That's So I thought he would be good after I saw that sleeve. And then, you know, he had a couple threes and then got waved. Living the American dream. Yeah, you, you don't find analysis like this just anywhere. Oh, no. oh, absolutely hard-hitting stuff. Yeah, oh, 100%. But you know what? He's he's a six-foot-eight guy who's a good shooter. If he can learn to shoot those motion threes, then maybe he'll have a career in the NBA. Uh, it's just the disappointing outcome on the number 30 pick in, in 2019. I remember at that draft being super excited when they got to number 29, and there were still some good players on the board. Of course, one mm-hmm. of them was Bull Bull. Who knows if he'll ever amount to anything. But you could have had like uh, Casey Okpala. Who knows? Kevin Porter Jr. was still on the board as well. I'm not. I'm definitely not going to voice any regrets around that one. You know, who knows? Maybe he'll be a good NBA player, but whatever the case, yeah, it's just a kind of disappointing outcome. But you know, it's it's two years past, and a lot has changed since then. Yeah, it is what it is, and now we've got current free agency to talk about. So I guess we'll leave that in the past, and then we'll talk about Kelly Olynyk. <laughs> yeah, Kelly Olynyk definitely. So Olynyk yeah. first. Uh, really the first signing for the Pistons of free agency, three years, 37 million team option in the final season. So thoughts on Kelly Olenek. Um, Well, Tommy and I disagreed initially. And I think initially it was actually to the point where we have a group chat that we talk in when we're not recording. We do communicate outside of recording this podcast. And at one point, Tommy was like, oh, this next episode is going to be flames. And I thought he was right. But then we kind of, we worked it out and then we kissed and made up and we're all good now. But as far as Kelly is concerned, I liked the signing uh, pretty much immediately. I didn't love it, but I liked it. And the reason for that is that I think Kelly's a, an underrated player. You know, I've, I've always thought very highly of Olenek's game. I think he's a really good shooter. I think he actually increased his percentage uh, last year with the Rockets. I know he's not a career, like close to 40% shooter, but he was really good last year. Um, he's kind of a sneaky, like fluid athlete. Uh, if there's like a flat footed, uh, someone with yeah heavy, awkward feet who doesn't have a lot of good lateral mobility at the five spot trying to defend him or even at the four spot, he'll just put the ball on the floor and blow by you. And then he'll get up there for like an acrobatic layup or a dunk. Um, he makes good passes. Uh, he plays not great defense, but you know, it's similar enough to Plumlee to where I, I don't see too much of a drop off there. And then speaking of Plumlee, one good way to kind of look at this move is like, okay, you traded Plumlee in the 37th pick for Kelly Olinick with a team option and the 57th pick. And I don't know about you guys, but in this sort of post Cade Cunningham first overall pick world where I don't think the Pistons are tanking anymore, I think they're trying to win. We got a pretty good player, so that's a trade that I would make. And kind of in summation, I liked the move, um, and I think Tommy's warmed up to it as well. Uh, and then Mike, yeah. Mike was a bit more indifferent to it, so we all had different opinions. I think we're relatively on the same page now that it's generally a decent move. If you go back and you look at his stats, one of the big things that people bring up is the three point shooting because that's like the that's probably the biggest upgrade from Plumley to uh, Kelly Olynyk in Houston. Kelly shot, let's see, here, 39% on threes, just over 39% on de- decent volume. But then you go back to his Houston, or not Houston, his Miami stats, and he was shooting just under 32%. So it's it's definitely a swing on not the best volume. And like you said, it's not this is not his career average. But if this is if this improved shooting is for real, that's huge because that's when I started to warm up on this sign because it shows that they're trying to commit to a little bit more uh, 
five out offense. And obviously I think that's the future of the NBA. I, I know there are probably people who want the old school uh, down low centers, but if you want to have the best offense, the most fluid offense, uh, the most versatile, you know, attack plan or like options, the most options you want to have spacing fives and Kelly Olenek can space the floor and Isaiah Stewart projects to space the floor. So I think that if, if that's your center rotation, I don't know who starts honestly at this point, but if that's your center rotation, you can theoretically have 48 minutes of spacing at the five. And that was kind of when I really started to warm up to this one. Yeah, I don't I don't think there's any question about who starts. I don't think you or anybody else wants or should want Kelly Olynyk as the starting or the primary. Oh, I don't want him to team. start. No, no, no. No, I'd say the chances are very, very low. I'd say if you like it, it should be mentioned that Olynyk is more of a kind of a hybrid he plays between power forward and center. Yeah, definitely not the kind of like main minutes at center guy. Even with the Rockets, he played about half his minutes at power forward. So, yeah, if I have anything to add about Olenek, I mean, well, you guys have already gone over most of it. Good three-point shooter. Even last season, even though he only shot 34% in aggregate, he shot about 39% on wide-open threes. So I could put the ball on the floor, you know, exploit mismatches that way. Or not really mismatches, but if he's going up against a center who's on the slower side, and a lot of centers are still, like, not particularly spry, he can put the ball on the floor and get past them. And... He's just a generally good mover off the ball, good at finding and, and exploiting mismatches down low. He's just good at getting himself uh, switched on to smaller guys and just and and basically just posting them up and and beating them at the basket. Runs the floor well in transition and so on. Yeah, so he'll play some of his minutes at center. He'll play probably most of his minutes at center. He'll play some of his minutes probably power forward. And yeah, he does provide you with that spacing and he just allows you to run a more dynamic offense. The cost, of course comes on defense he's not a good rim protector by any measure he's not a disaster he's just you know he's as noticeably below average and just as an overall defender he's not that great either so that's where you lose some potency is on the defensive end but on the offensive end could definitely be an asset and at the price and the fact that there's a team option on the final season you know i feel okay about the contract you know i, I don't uh i don't feel too bad so, yeah, more floor spacing, another weapon, somebody you can, you know, it's a part of it is, you know, when you're trying to develop these young guys, you want, you want to have that maximum floor spacing. So you, you don't, uh, it, was, it was noticeable last year, you had just the, the offense had two little in the way of creators and not really a ton in the way of spacing. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty meh on the signing, but, you know, I think it's fine. Yeah, I think he, he fits a lot better in terms of what we want. And I was, I mean, I'll ask this again later or after this, but. I think that maybe they wanted to pick a guy, pick up a guy who modeled Stewart's strengths and weaknesses just a little bit more than Plumlee's because we don't need Plumlee's passing anymore. Like his his passing and his ball handling was legitimately valuable and needed last year because we just didn't have much in the way of creation. But with Cade, there you you don't need that anymore. You want the ball in his hands as much as possible. So Olenek, I think I really like think that there's there there will be some things that Isaiah Stewart can pick up because. Isaiah Stewart's not like a jump out of the gym guy. They're definitely on completely different levels in terms of holding their ground. But other than that, like on offense, like we started to see a little bit more movement and and uh, mobility from Isaiah Stewart. And I definitely think that that's something that he needs to continue to work on if he wants to uh, expand his game and improve in the, in the NBA because he's definitely not going to be you know the, the most vertical guy. So he needs to work, work on the ways that he can – bring value elsewhere. Mm -hmm. I, I never really thought about those parallels between Stewart's game and Olenek's game. So that's a pretty, I'm not even sure. Honestly, I have, I've, I've watched just like bits and pieces of Olenek's game and it's mostly focusing on his shooting. So I haven't gotten a chance to see like what he does on, in terms of movement and like where he likes to be on the floor, but right. maybe that's something that they saw. But speaking in terms of generalities, I think you might be on the right track. And I think that's a pretty good idea. It, it's something worth monitoring. I don't know if maybe Casey or Weaver will answer uh, to, to something about that like on the matter. But I completely agree with you about Plumlee, um, especially when you think about it in terms of how the roster was constructed versus how it's constructed now. Uh, you know, Mike has consistently maintained this. I think he may have brought it up two, three episodes in a row, is that Mason Plumlee was well-suited uh, to play a key role on a team that really lacked creators, um, not just perimeter creators, like creators in general, 
we had very little in the way of initiating offense. And Plumlee, yeah, he was a pretty good passer, pretty good ball handler for his size. But now with Cade Cunningham coming in and then Killian Hayes, I'm it's well documented. I've said on the podcast before, if you take passing skill in a vacuum, I think Killian is an elite passer like one of the best passers on the planet, approaching LaMelo level. Now, obviously, his passing can't be fully optimized until he scores, right? Because then you're keeping the defense honest and you're creating plays at a higher level. But we have enough in terms of offense initiation. So Plumlee, not really necessary. I would switch out um, his skill set for Olenek's skill set for the team as currently constructed 100 out of 100 times. And then while we're on the subject, and then I'll, I'll, I'll drop it and probably never talk about Plumlee again. I thought his passing was overrated. I mean, he would like have his back to the basket and like do a bounce pass to a cutter. And everybody's like, whoa, Plumlee's such a good passer. It's like, cool. You, you did that three times a game. It's like, I don't really want my center doing that. I don't care too much. And obviously it didn't translate to winning games. So whatever. I, I like Olenek better at that spot. And thank you, Plumlee, for your service. I thought you were a good dude and, and you surprised me a little bit, but ready to move on. Yeah, Plumlee, I think what I also said about Plumlee was that he was very well suited as the starting center for a team that really was not trying to win games. You did. That was funny. That was a good yeah. one. It's also I mean, true. That was his primary contribution. I mean, I'm sure he had cultural contribution and probably his passing helped to some degree with, uh, you know, whatever it was, helping to run a, a more functional offense than, you know, on a team that really did lack creators. But yeah, he you know, what'll go down for in, in Pistons lore is the starting center for the team that ultimately got the first overall pick. And that was not because he necessarily did a great job at his role. And yeah, his, his passing was useful, but you know, the, the better the team gets around him, the less useful that passing is. I mean, no good team is ever going to use Mason Plumlee as a, as a primary or even, you know, to, to any significant degree as a passer, because it's just, it's just not necessary for a team that has other, other has anywhere in the realm of enough options. So when you're talking about just replacement in that respect, then, you know, sure. You know, he's said, I'll take it. We're not doing you know, a Pistons weren't going to go out and get like a complete center in free agency. It's going to cost you more money than you want to spend on a backup center. So, yeah, altogether, like I said, I'm fine with it. Will he be with the team past that those two uh, guaranteed years on his contract? I don't think so, but that's okay. You know, there wasn't, there isn't really a ton of opportunity cost here. The Pistons, who signed three different two-year deals, seem to more be looking to 2023 as far as spending a lot of money goes. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, no, I was going to say, I once I saw that, that, that team option on the third year, I was like, okay. I was already like warming up to it more and more, but I really liked it a lot more at that point. I yeah, like that maintaining nice. that flexibility. Yeah, that is very nice. Mm-hmm. Did Plumlee have a team option? I don't no. think so. I think he was fully guaranteed. He no. had oh, yeah. trade kickers even. So yeah, I had a trade the Linux contract yeah. a million times out of a million. Then I, I like it much, much better. Like way better. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was with the Plumlee signing. Sure, you can say, you know, maybe Stewart developed more quickly than they thought, but it was a little, I think you so know, too. whatever. It's it, it's like, it's just like a, it's slightly comical that you pay this guy probably salary he doesn't deserve. It's like the first signing of free agency, like very, very early. And then you get rid of him like nine months later, <laughs> you know, whatever, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not upset about it. I mean, things certainly turned out very well in his first season. So, uh, you know, you can't really look back and call that a mistake and it wasn't a big deal in any event. Uh, you know, maybe if, if somebody like in the realm of, you know, picks 37 to 40 turns into a really great player, who knows, maybe you look back and say, well, that's unfortunate, but I'm not worried about that. Of course, I'm not really worried about that at all. It's not really rather. It's not something I'm thinking about. I don't know, right. man. Jared yeah. Butler went all the way to 40. That was shocking. Yeah. I know he has these health scares, but still, I I was floored that he yeah. got taken at all if he's fallen that low. Anyway, totally yeah. off topic. We'll see. So uh, we can move on to the next outside free agent signing, and that is Trey Lyles. Two years, $5 million total. Uh, we don't, There's there's been no information as to whether or not that contract has an option on it. I wouldn't be surprised if it had a team option for the second year, but maybe, maybe not. Yeah. Miles 26, six uh, ten, I think with a six, uh, nine, rather seven foot three wingspan. So good size. Uh, in- interestingly, he's the guy for whom, uh, so the nuggets traded 
for Trey Lyles in 2017, and they traded the pick that turned into Donovan, Donovan Mitchell. Now, obviously, that was not a good trade. <laughs> That was a very, very bad trade for the Nuggets. Yeah, not too great. <laughs> yeah, not ideal. So, uh, yeah. Uh, do you guys have any thoughts about Trey Lyles? I mean, I think this was a guy who was signed to be really in, in a depth player, you know, like yeah. end of rotation depth player. Yeah. I mean, in yeah. terms of thoughts, um, like I, I'd like to think I've dedicated some thought to most NBA players. I've given almost no thought to Trey Lyles. Like I forget he's in the NBA sometimes. Like when I saw that we signed him, I was like, oh, um, and to be blunt, I don't think he's very good at all. And the only notable thing about this signing is that some fans are kind of up in arms like, oh, he's going to take Sekou's minutes. And it's like, dude, if Trey Lyles is preventing you from seeing minutes on this team or like threatens your spot in the organization, maybe the NBA is not for you because I don't think Trey Lyles <laughs> is very good at all. And uh, yeah, if this affects Seku, that reflects poorly on Seku. Yeah, it's a depth signing. I don't, if it's going to be one of those things where like Frank Jackson's done it to me, Christians Wood Wood has done it to me. I don't care about these guys until they actually start to so, show some life. And at that point you're like, oh, let's, let's give this guy some attention. That's it. And two and a half million, five years, five years, two years. It's nothing. I'm, I won't, I probably won't pay much attention to him, honestly. Yeah. So, of course, there's been some talk about an interview he gave, I think, in 2018, in which he named Detroit one of yeah, the that doesn't help. worst cities. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure we'll, well, I would presume we'll hear him come out and say something about that. And I doubt it's one of those things where Troy Weaver just didn't do enough research to know about it. I mean, I don't imagine yeah. this was known about, but I guess we'll yeah, find out. He was out. hacked. Yeah, he was hacked. Exactly. So, <laughs> deep fake. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> That would be something. Uh, so, yeah, just a bit about Lyles as a player. Uh, definitely not a creator, or to a very small degree anyway. Uh, if he's creating offense, maybe a little bit just attacking attacking a mismatch, like a really slow opponent at center or wherever else. Let's put it this way. When he's creating, it's just under very fortuitous conditions. Decent rebounder. At this point, as far as floor stretching, uh, he has some good years and some really bad years, like 2018, 2019, which is a horrible season for him overall. His last two seasons, he's done fairly well from the three-point line. So, can play some center. No, he's certainly a bull average rim protector. Uh, not fast-footed at all. And a fairly slow-footed. You know, whatever. This uh, I'd imagine the hope is that this guy can come in and stretch the floor and play competent defense where necessary. And I'd say if Sekou Dumboya comes in and he's playing well, and, you know, and he can contribute in the NBA, then Trey Lyles is probably not going to play very much at all. So, yeah, that's how I feel about him. All right. So with that, we are going to call it on this episode. We actually came into this one with a lot of content and uh, we're at about 55 minutes already. So uh, we are going to split this into two episodes. What we're going to have in the next episode, uh, which we're going to actually release about a day after this one is some talk about the free agents whom the Pistons have brought back. Corey Joseph and Saban Lee at this point and about Frank Jackson, Hamadou Diallo. We're still waiting on that. And then of course the summer league preview. So as always, thank you all for listening and we will see you in that next episode. 